Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So, question for you straight off the bat. Uh, I, I, wonder, I wonder what you would have if you didn't know what everyone else had. I wonder what you would want if you didn't know what everyone else had. See, I think my problem is uh, I know too much. I know what you've got and I know what other people have got. And so as a result, this knowledge, it, it, it makes me dangerously, and perhaps you as well, dangerously discontent. Wouldn't you agree? And as a result, we're constantly living on the, on the verge of, of this financial ruin because it's constantly luring us. It's feeding this appetite that grows and grows and grows and grows. And so that's why we're talking about guardrails this morning, but more specifically guardrails when it comes to our finances. Uh, if you haven't learnt it by now, we should know it, right? A guardrail is a place that stops a thing that stops you from straying off into dangerous areas. It's it's something that's placed inside the safety zone, so you don't wander off into a dangerous area. And so this morning, I want to talk about a financial guardrail, but not in the way that you think. And I'll come back to that in a second. But I've been thinking this morning. You know, whenever, whenever a preacher talks about money, everyone gets nervous, right? <laughs> you should. <laughs> Particularly when you hear what Jesus has got to say about this stuff. Um, but, but for me this morning, it's been, how, how do I tell these people that I love and, and people, if they join us in this family, that I would love to? And, and how do I convince them that this is so much more than about me and us and just giving your money to the church, which is, we'll learn is a significant part of all of this. But how would I convince you that this is the thing that Jesus says you need to do if you want to find a freedom in your life? And see, it's so difficult to talk about money because we're so constrained by it. But what I've learned, and I'm going to give you some gold here that I think I'm thinking I'm going to write a book on this stuff. I found the key to financial independence, which I think could earn me a heap out there. But the key to financial independence is this. It's having independence from the notion that life equals stuff. People constantly think that life equals stuff. In fact, a life away from God can be really easily summarised in saying life away from God is when life equals stuff. And... As a, as a result, people have this appetite and we sense and we know, right, that people are constantly discontent. There's never enough of the stuff and we're driven by this into unhealthy ways. And, and here's the thing that I realized too, scientifically, that about 99.99% of you, you're probably going to run out of time before you run out of stuff. Some of you are going to get to a point in your life where you realize that you're going to leave this place and you're probably going to leave this place with more stuff left behind than you did time. And so what we have to first understand that your life is your time. It's not your stuff. It's not your things. But do we live like that? Do you live like that? That's what we've got to wrestle through this morning. Do we live our lives as if our lives are not made up of stuff? And is there, on top of that then, if that's the case, is there a risk that this stuff has the ability to control us and master us? 
That's why it's so important to talk about this this morning. And, and some of you are thinking, wow, great. You know, <laughs> two weeks that I turn up to check out a church, they're talking about sex and money. <laughs> right? You're very brave if you've returned. Um, but what's really interesting as a pastor is that whenever I speak to people, when people come into my office and they, they want to talk through things and, and pastoral issues and whenever there are things going in their life, and it could be stuff to do with kids or relationships or anxieties that are going on in their life, you know, about nine out of ten times, the, the underlying issues, the issues underneath the issues really come back to either sex or money. And ironically, we don't teach into that stuff all that much, and yet it's so prevalent. And I, I know, I know the deal too, too, <laughs> as to how some people think. You know, some people come in to a context like this and think, "Yeah, oh, right, I've turned up to one of those messages where I'm going to get stiff-armed into giving away my money." Particularly if you're not a religious person and you're checking things out, because I know I know what the I know what the reputation is of the ch- of the church. We talked about it last week, but the church's reputation is um, God's against sex and He wants your money, <laughs> right? And we learned last week that God's not against sex. God created sex. He, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. If you subordinate it to His purposes, and ironically, exactly the same principle applies for money. In fact, He doesn't even really need your money. Um, The reason why we're going to see that he wants you to give your money away is because he loves you and he's for you and he wants what's best for you. And when you learn how to do that, you grow and flourish under him. So when I said I'm going to talk about guardrails in a different way, here's, here's what I'm not going to talk about this morning. I'm not going to talk about how to avoid bankruptcy or get yourself out of debt. You know, the barefoot investor does that better than anyone else that I know at the moment. So go download his stuff and go work through all of that. And, and I encourage you to look into that. There's a lot of good practical stuff that you can go through. But here's what I'm going to get at this morning is, ironically, you can be completely out of debt. In fact, you can be completely in a stage of plenty, which is us when you look at us comparatively to the rest of the world. You can be in a state of plenty and, you're, and drive your life off the cliff, so to speak, when it comes to money. Part of the reason is Jesus got this, that you can be financially responsible and totally uh, out of control in your life when it comes to money because that's what Jesus is speaking into when he says, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, the irony of the Greek word underneath all of that is not master. We think boss. We, think, we read that and we think Jesus is saying, you, ca- you, can't let, you can't let money be your boss. And we go, no, it's, it's fine. You know, God's the boss. God's the boss of my life. It's okay. He's the boss. I get it. But that's not what it's saying. Uh, the, the underlying word there for master in the Greek is something that takes possession of. In other words, Jesus is saying, you, 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 can't, you can't serve God and have money own you. And don't we see in many of the different ways that money owns us, dominates our thoughts, captures us. And that's why for Jesus' followers, what Jesus is concerned with is that, that the primary issue for us is not how much money we have, but whether or not it masters us. Do we have money or does money have us? And the reason that Jesus' followers need guardrails financially is because Jesus is saying that that money is constantly competing for our hearts. And he gets into that a little bit more here. You know, here's an interesting fact. Do you know that Jesus 
warns against greed more than 30 times more than he warns people against sexual immorality, if we're talking about those issues. 30 times more. Like for every time that he warns you about sex, there's 30 other warnings about greed. Why is that? Verse 22 of the passage that we didn't read, it, he, he gives us an insight into this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now that sounds obscure. What's, what's that got to do with money? That just sounds weird. What Jesus is getting at in this passage is he's saying here that, that money is a power, but more importantly, money has the power to blind us. If, if there's ever a sin behind money, it's, it's a sin of the eye. And, and so that's why constantly Jesus is saying, look, watch out. Be careful of it. But watch out. You know, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, watch out for adultery. Because you know, when, when you're in the middle of adultery, like, you, you sort of don't get into the middle of it all and go, oh my goodness, how'd this happen? Right? You, you, you can sense and see that. But when it comes to money, you can be totally gripped by the sin of greed and be totally unaware of it. And ironically, greed isn't mysterious. It's, it's not some funny old man sitting over the top of all these possessions and sniffing his $5 bills. And <laughs> greed's, greed's, not, greed's not mysterious. Greed's, greed's simply this. Greed is the assumption of consumption. That whatever hits my bank account, whatever comes into my super, whatever was my inheritance, whatever I earned from my paycheck and my job is mine. That's the assumption of consumption. And, and the Bible's saying over and over and over again that, that, that unlike other sins, this is something that you can't see in yourself because of the power of it. People rarely come to me and say, you know, Sam, I, I need to book an appointment with you. you know, they'll come and say, I need to book an appointment with you. I'm, I'm dealing with this character flaw. Or I'm dealing with this anxiety in my life. Or I'm dealing with this sort of issue. But, but rarely does someone say, I need to book an appointment with you because I think I'm struggling with greed. Why? Because we're blind to it. We don't see it. Nobody thinks it's their problem. And I've worked out why. I was in Jerusalem with a whole bunch of people from about 99 dif- different countries. And uh, I was sitting there having some breakfast with some guys from Malawi. And when we got ready for the day, we were, our whole tour was paid for. It was amazing. Uh, all, all of our meals were paid for. But, but at lunchtime, you had to bring 10 US dollars to have lunch. And so uh, we would bring our money and we would go to one of the places that we're having lunch. And so I realized that after breakfast, these guys with Malawi, from Malawi each morning, they would, they would raid the breakfast bar. There'd be, there'd be little containers of hummus and, and olives and all sorts of stuff everywhere. And they would raid that. And I'm thinking that's a bit much, you know, like it's just, just contain yourself in all of that. Until I realized that the 10 US dollars that we were going to go and fork out for lunch uh, was more than what they earned for an entire day as a pastor in Malawi. So in other words, they're, they're raiding the bar because they can't, they can't afford to spend the money on lunch. And, and, and suddenly I realised the principle and why greed is so difficult for all of us. It's the process of what I call demographic stratification. 
is you see, we, we live in a part of the world and we, we understand this in the lower North Shore is where we're not exposed to those sorts of situations. And so as a result, for you and I, every time we get up and we drive around in our five kilometre radius, I don't know about your life, but in my life, we, we drive around the neighbourhood and all you can see is a Lexus and a BMW and a, a, a nice jacket and a certain brand of shoes. And, and constantly the reinforcement year after year after year of that process means that we, we get locked into this very thin slither of society. If you own a car, by the way, you're in the top 3% of the richest people in the world. Right? So Adrian, be comforted if you only own one. You're still very rich. <laughs> Right? If, if you've noticed this, maybe only just noticing it now. We, we live in this strata where that is all, all we ever see. And so as a result, our line for what we consider to be greedy is way out of whack. Because we, we think greed is, okay, it's, it's fine. I, I don't want to drive that particular car. <laughs> or we think, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not greedy cause, because uh, I, I, don't, I don't want that particular house. Or I don't want to live in that particular area. Or we, we, we draw the line totally forgetting that, that behind us there, there are layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of other people who, by the way, are drawing the lines looking at us saying, I wish I was like them. See how it works? This ringing true? So, if it's true that, that money is, is as powerful as anything... And it's more pervasive and it's rampant, but none of us believe that greed is true of us. Then here's, here's what I want to put to you as my hypothesis this morning. Could this be true of you and me? Could this be an issue for me? And so what do we do with that? How do we, how do we fix this? And this is the genius of Jesus because he says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Now that word mammon is, is a Greek word that was translated from a Hebrew word, the Hebrew word amon, which literally means to trust. And so Jesus is saying you, you, you cannot uh, serve something that you, you cannot trust in two things at the same time. To put your trust in something is to lean your weight on one side or the other. And so it, it, it stands to reason that you can't say, I'm both trusting God and I'm trusting money at the same time. He's saying everyone at the center of them has something, a treasure, a treasure beneath the treasures that they really trust in. And to treasure that, and here's what your treasure means, to treasure something means to look at it and say, if I just have this, if I'm with this, then I am somebody and I am something. And haven't you seen how people have used that principle in their life with money and positions? And so Jesus, he understood it. It's it's the golem the golem principle, right? Everyone has my precious. Everyone has their little precious, their treasure that that once it becomes your precious, it owns you. Albert Schweitzer said, "If you have something you can't do without, you don't own it; it owns you. Whatever you have, your treasure, you're enslaved to it." And so. If we're blind to this, how do we spot the mammons? How do we spot the things that we trust in our lives? Here's, here's the first litmus test. Where do I let go of money easily? If you want to see where you might have 
mammons in your life, things that you trust, where do you let go of money easily? Everyone's got a treasure beneath them. And so this is the litmus test. I mean, like if you, if you find it hard to give away your money, but you find it very easy to spend your money on clothes, <laughs> then, then it may not just be the wardrobe of the resting place of your heart, but maybe it's even deeper in that. It's the significance of beauty. It could be the significance of status in what you wear. If, um, if you find it difficult to give away your money, but you put it into your house, it, it, it could be the security of where you live. It, it could be the security of, of your location as to why you feel important and where you feel significant. <laughs> we, we sense that, don't we? We've got, we've got, we've got, whole, we've got whole roads and neighbourhoods, you know, if they're, if they're on that side of Pennant Hills Road. There's something beneath all of that for us. Here's the third example. Some of you are going, look, I'm not into the clothes. You know, it's fine. I'm going to the clothes swap. I'm doing that. I'm not worried about that stuff. You know, and the whole house thing, you should see my house. It's humble and it's frugal and I'm, I'm not worried about those things. But, but it, you could be that person on, uh, right in the middle where, where you're not worried about the clothes or the house, but you love to save. You are so, so thrifty that you just... You're just the invisible hoarder of things that, that, that keep growing and growing and growing in your bank, bank account. And could it be that your treasure, your sense of security, your sense of significance, it's not in clothes, it's not in a house, but it's in your, in your bank account. So here's the principle. Jesus says, your treasure is always revealed in the effortlessness of your spending. Where is it effortless for this stuff just to flow out? So where do you let go of money easily? And th- then he goes on to say, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? We know, we know that passage. Um, don't get anxious, says Jesus. Don't worry about anything. It, what he's getting at is he's already speaking into the, the unspoken dynamic. If, if you can let go of money easily, that could reveal a mammon. Another way to reveal a mammon in your life is, what do you fear? What, what, gets you, what gets you nervous if you, if you didn't have this thing? If it fell out from your life, life would feel like it's over. Where, where do you fear when it comes to, to money? I call that the nightmare test. <laughs> you know, what, what in your life would be a nightmare? That's simple as that. And here's, here's the last one. You ask yourself, where, where is my hope? Where is my treasure beyond the treasure? Uh, my, my little brother, when he was a little kid, he found five cents on the ground. It's only about three or four. You've seen when kids do these sorts of things, picked up. He used to walk around the house the whole time going, I love my five cents. I love my five cents. I love my five cents. He'd sleep with his five cents under his pillow. Um, he would eat with the five cents at the, at the dinner table. He'd even go to the bathroom with the five cents. You could hear him, I love my five cents. You know, it's just, and when, wherever he went, his five cents went. Anyway, we're, we're down at grandma's one day and my, my grandmother, she was, she was the epitome, she, she was the epitome of the builder generation. Some of you are still here, but, um, she'd grown up through the depression. So she had listed the price of milk since about 1963 by hand down her, down her, um, pantry door. And so she was looking terribly anxious one day because she'd realized that the price of milk had gone up, I don't know, by about 20 cents or something. And so she's looking quite anxious about all of that. And right in that moment of, of picking all of this, um, uh, Alex walks up and says, Grandma, what's wrong? She said, oh, the price of milk's gone up. And he pauses for a bit and he says, well, Grandma, you can have my five cents. Thomas Chalmers talks about the expulsive power 
of a new affection. And if money has a hold on us, has a power over us, it's not about simply removing that from our lives or feeling guilted into giving. It's about asking the question of where, where is the treasure? Where is my hope? Where is my treasure beyond the treasure? Where is the love beyond the love for money? And that's what it means to be a Christian. Every human has got to serve some sort of God, says Jesus. Remember I tell you, Bob Dylan said that. You've got to serve somebody. You might like to sing, you might like to dance, you might be the ambassador of France, but you're going to serve somebody. And so we humans, we're irreducibly religious. And so a Christian is someone who looks at their five cents. They look at our five cents as much as we've loved it and carried around. There is something that happens in that spiritual moment when we see that all that he has done for us and all that he is calling us to, that we look at him and say, Jesus, you can have my five cents. Because we've been captivated by the expulsive power of a new affection. But more importantly, in knowing that he is God in Jesus Christ and he, poof, he's kicked a hole through the side of the universe and he comes in and he redeems us and he's gone back to the Father and he's given and granted anyone who believes in him eternal life. And so this life is not all there is and this life is not all the stuff and that we are moving on to riches and beauty that is far greater than this. Suddenly Christians are people who are irreducibly affected in the present by their future hope. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of this. This, this is not what we're going to. And it's a constant battle and a wrestle in our hearts, isn't it? <laughs> Which means this morning as we get ready to finish up, you know, there's this one application point in all of this. Don't you love it when you just preach whatever Jesus preaches? He's terribly efficient in his wording, way more efficient than me as a preacher. Because <laughs> here he is, he just sums sums up the human condition so perfectly. Look at this verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what's, you know what's incredible about that passage? It's actually totally back to front as to how he will teach you through the rest of the Gospels when you look at his life. In other words, this is the one area of your spiritual life when it comes to money where your actions must first come before the intention. Do you see that? This is not an area where we sit around and we dwell upon things. You go home and you think about it and you com- contemplate it. This is the Nike principle, says Jesus. Just do it. <laughs> where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And so what it means for you and I this morning is simply this. If you want to be free from the power of money, if you want to have that guardrail in your life, you just set up this simple pattern. This is the pattern of all Christians that follow God. This pattern of giving first to God, then saving, then living. It's a pretty complex mathematical formula, isn't it? But, but, but anyone who's a follower of Jesus gets this principle and this priority right in their lives. They give first and they save second and they live third. And notice how um, it's not one of those messages on telling you how much you should give. But here is your action point this morning. Absolutely, should you be considering, absolutely, should you be deciding to start giving, if you haven't already, a percentage of your income away. Away, yes, practically to the church. I think everyone should be supporting their local church. 
I think the church is the hope for the world. How else does it get resourced? So of course, and I'm not saying you've got to give away 10%, um, but certainly don't let it be less than five. If it's less than five, then you're not going to notice it amongst um, you know, smashed avocado and scrambled eggs at brunch. <laughs> but give something. Decide to give something. And so as a result, then we, we now become... We now become living out the, the right reordering and the prioritization of how God intended us to serve Him with and through our money. It's pretty simple. And, and it's why, you know, something for me personally, something happened in my spiritual life. When in a message like this in Herbert Street, 10, 15 years ago, for the first time, I'd followed God for ages, but for that first time that I decided I am going to regularly give away a portion of my income first to my church and to our church, that's when I saw God grow me in new and different and committed ways because things were reordered. I know that for many of you, that's been your story too. I know for, it's, it's part of the reason why practically we've got giving online on our website and, and this FPOS machine out there. Not, not because of that reputation that the church wants to grab your money, but because we want there to be every opportunity to live this out easily. Because, you know, when, you know I, I used to sort of be the sort of person that would prefer when the buckets came around, or at least in my old Anglican church, they were metal. So if you could put your change in as a kid, it would clink. <laughs> Ding! And you felt like you gave... Look around the buckets these days and they look empty. And probably people look at that thinking, how, how the heck do they fund this place? And it leads me to my final point. The only way that it funds this place is because this morning I'm preaching to the choir. Many of you, have already, you've already done this. And if anything, once we've talked about the why, I wanted there to be an opportunity this morning to say, for all of you who give on a regular basis and for all of you who have sacrificed and for all of you who are represented by people that I spoke to last week who's, who or like Adrian where I've just heard that story where they, you go and you deliver your accounts to your accountant and your financial advisor and they see this line that is at the top of everything you do and they say, that does not make sense. That in itself is an act of witness to a watching world. And so all I want to say to you this morning, how else does all of this happen? than through people who get this. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Christians give not because we're told to, but because we, because we can. And there's a freedom in that. Don't underestimate the significance of that statement. I'll leave it with you this week. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.